You know, we've been on a series called The Kings of Israel. Uh, This is the last series, The Kings of Israel. We've talked about a lot of kings, talked about Saul, David, Solomon, Hezekiah, Jehoshaphat, and Josiah. And then today we talk about the last and the greatest king. The last king, the greatest king. The only king that didn't make any mistakes. King Jesus. King Jesus. You know, it's kind of interesting because when Jesus hung on the cross for us, Pilate had his soldiers make a plaque. And upon that, he said, write, King of the Jews. Because that was one of the things they used against him. They tried to say that Jesus was causing insurrection, trying to be a king. And the Jewish leaders tried to tell the Roman leaders that he proposes to be a king. And so Pilate wrote that. And when the leaders saw that, they had a fit. And they came to Pilate and said, no, 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 no. Right on there, he said that he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, no. What I've written is what I've written, and it stays. How true it was. He truly was not just the king of the Jews, but the king of the whole earth. King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, the amazing thing is that he was a different king than any other king. He came differently, and he taught differently. He wanted to show us that his kingdom was a different kind of kingdom. And the most amazing thing I find is that he came to serve us. Most kings come to be served, have all their subjects to serve him. But our king, Jesus, came to serve us. It's amazing. And I want to read to you a passage in Isaiah chapter 53. And understand, Isaiah wrote this 750 years before Jesus was born. Look at this passage and think about how amazing it is that it fits the life of Jesus. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for our own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sin of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep is silent before his shears, he did not open his mouth. 
unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. He was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. That's us. He will enjoy long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hand. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Is that not amazing? That this was written 750 years before Jesus was born. And yet Jesus fulfilled all of this. And as you study and look at the life of Jesus, especially his death and the way that he went to the cross, he fulfilled all that the prophet spoke. And in doing so, he showed us he was a different kind of king. He came to send us a message because he came at a time when Israel was looking for a king. They were hoping and praying for a king, but they wanted a conquering king. They had been under the thumb and the rule of Rome. And the Roman government had been cruel to them. And they wanted a conquering king. They wanted someone coming in on a white horse with an army and defeating the Roman army and and putting Israel back to being a world power like they were. But that was not God's plan. You could see it in the prophetic word. God's plan was to rescue us from our sins. You see, he could have come as a conquering king. He could have. But it would have just been another world power. Nothing would have changed. We would still be dead in our sins. We would still not be able to be forgiven. We could still not have a relationship with God. He had to come the way he did so that we could have our sins taken care of. So that once and for all, we could have a relationship with God. And by the life of King Jesus, I see several things that are important that we understand. Number one, and that is that he came to show us a new way of life. Understand, he came as a servant. Look at what he said in the book of John, chapter 12. It says, The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. And they shouted, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it. Fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding 
on a donkey's colt. And that is a prophetic word from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. And I'm sure a lot of things that Jesus did and things that happened the way they did, I know that later on after they sat down and thought about it, they realized, oh, yeah, that's why that happened. And at the time, they must have thought, what are you doing? Why do you want to ride into Jerusalem on a young donkey, one that had never been ridden on before? How lowly and servant-like to come in riding on a, a young donkey. Not only did it fulfill the prophetic word of Zechariah, but it was a sign to us that he came to serve us. He came as a servant. Why did he come as a servant? Because he wants you to know that our greatest fulfillment in life is to serve others. That life is not about getting people to serve us. Life is not about getting what we want. Life is about being able to be a blessing to other people. And it's interesting because everything the world says, it, you know, hey, be number one, be the best, have everybody to be at your beck and call, and the greater power and authority you have, and the more people you have underneath you, the more successful you are. And yet Jesus came on a donkey trying to say to us, that may be the way it is in the world, but my kingdom is different. And in fact, that's what he told Pilate. Look, if you would, in John chapter uh, 18, what he said to Pilate. He said, then Pilate went back to his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews? He asked him. And Jesus replied, is this your own question or did others tell you about me? Am I Jew, Pilate retorted, your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have have you done? And notice verse 36. This is important. My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate said, so are you a king? Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into this world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize what I say is true. Jesus came to show us that his kingdom is different. You see, the invitation that we all have, and that is that we are invited to come in to the kingdom of God. By being born again. We're invited into a new kingdom. But the kingdom is not like the world's kingdom. It doesn't operate on the same principles. And that's why a lot of people get confused. They don't understand what it really means to be a Christian. And I can say this, something that I've learned over the years of my life. There is a vast difference between being religious and being a Christian. The world struggles and works to be religious and and works to to look like a religious person. And every time I think about that, I think about the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders had prayed for and taught about a coming king, a Messiah, who would come. They may have written 
or they, excuse me, they may have read what was written about the king coming on a, a young donkey. And I'm sure they taught a lot of prophecies about the coming Messiah. And they may have read, probably did read the, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53 that we read before. But here's the amazing thing. Even though they taught about the coming king, even though they taught about what the word of God said, they missed the king when he stood in front of them. Don't you find that amazing? They missed him. The king of kings and the Lord of lords and the last true king, Messiah, was standing in front of them and they missed it. And that fact penetrates my heart. Because I recognize they were so focused on looking religious and keeping rules and regulations that they missed the king of kings. And so you have to ask yourself, and this is a question I've asked myself many times, am I so focused on looking religious that I miss what God is trying to say to me? And sometimes we get focused on keeping rules and keeping regulations and looking religious. And I want to do this. I want to do that. And I want to plead. The kingdom of God is different. It's different. He came to give us a new heart. Put your hand right here. Your heart. It's a new heart. When you are born again, I've explained this many times, but it's true. Right here, you have a physical heart. I don't want to tell you, you have a spiritual heart. God wants to do a heart transplant. That's what Ezekiel and Jeremiah, we actually read it last week. He wants to take out your old heart and put in a new heart. He wants to give you a new life. He wants you to teach you how to be a servant. And he wants to set us free on the inside. Think about that. That's the reason he came differently as a servant. He wanted us to be free on the inside. Because mankind had been in bondage to sin. And I just, I just want you to consider this point. The Jewish people, under the rules and regulations and the, the, the sacrifices and all the things, that, they had forgiveness called atonement. They would sacrifice animals and God said, okay, through that sacrifice, there would be atonement or a type of forgiveness. But then they went right back to doing all the things they did before because it was not a complete forgiveness. God had better plans God, he wanted to give us a new heart. Look, if you would, to Jeremiah 31. This is one of the quotes. You see something similar to Ezekiel 36, 36, but this is, a, this is a great passage. It says, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Watch this. I will put my instructions deep within them, 
and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sin. What a promise. Did you catch what he's trying to say? He's saying, you see, they were all focused on keeping the rules, the written rules and regulations of the Torah. Keeping the Ten Commandments. Doing the right things. They they were focused on that. And he was saying, listen, the kind of covenant that's coming is going to be a new covenant. And it's not going to be a covenant where we're focused on rules and regulations. But God says... I'm going to come and I'm going to give you a new heart and I'm going to write my laws on your heart. And you're not going to be thinking like this. You see, it's not the Bible that makes me want to be a godly person. It is God living inside of me that makes me want to be a godly person. This simply helped me to understand more about that. He wants to give me a brand new heart. Give me a brand new life. And that is amazing. It is revolutionary. And you know what's amazing is that people keep missing, just like the Jewish leaders did. They keep missing what God wanted to do because they're so focused on the rules and regulations. They can't see what God's real heart was. And you can see it here, even in Jeremiah. 500 years before Jesus was born. Jeremiah wrote this in 3131. Ezekiel 36, as I mentioned, we're not going to read it, but you go there and you read that, something very similar. Even Ezekiel wrote about the new heart. And we need to understand, look at Hebrews 10. I I, I want to see this one. I I want you to see this. Verse 20 through 25. What a powerful uh, testament. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Notice he he gives you a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, obvious reference to Jesus, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. You know, and that's the rub with religion. Religion wants you to come to religion. And then religion will go to God for you. But do you notice what God wants? He wants you to come right into the presence of God. Not come through me. He wants you to come right into the presence of God. And we can all enjoy God's presence. We can all come into his presence. He says... Let's go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. For our guilty consciences, I love this, have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure waters. Let's hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep His promise. Let's think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good work. And let's not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. God wants to give us a new heart. And notice how it says there, a new and living way. 
a new and living way. It has always been God's heart to give you that heart change, to give you that heart, and then you could have a relationship with Him. You see, that is the only way you can have a real relationship with God is by having a heart change. You, you could be religious. I mean, you could go to church every day for your whole life. You could quote the entire Bible word for word. You could give all of your money. You could do all that. And it wouldn't even get you an inch toward God. Because it's all us. He had something better. He wants to give you a new heart. And the third thing I want us to see, and that is, He came to live inside of us. He came to live inside of us. Give us a new way. Give us a new heart. And think about this. Forgiveness It's great to have forgiveness, but, you know, we need more than forgiveness. I mean, we think about the fact, okay, I'm forgiven, but we need more. We need the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. God knew we needed more. And that was the promise, was to not just forgive us. And I thank God for our forgiveness that comes through the blood of Jesus. But we can have more, and that is the Holy Spirit wants to live inside of us. Look at this. And look at Colossians 1. I love this, the way it phrases here. It said, this message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. It's not a secret anymore. For God wanted them, that's us, to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And here's the secret. Ready for it? Christ lives where? In you. Now, somebody might say, okay, hold it. I thought Jesus was sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. That's true. But the promise was good. He was going to, when he left, he said, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to be who Jesus is living inside of us. That's the promise. And so the hope of glory, the hope that we all have is that Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing His glory. And then verse 28, so we tell others about Christ, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. And that's why I work and struggle so hard depending upon, I love this, depending upon Christ's mighty power that works where? Did you all know, did you understand that God's amazing mighty power is working inside of you? Now, does that make you perfect? (laughs) Well, I wish it did. The truth of it is, is that there has to be a little agreement. Is that although we're forgiven when we're born again, and he places his Holy Spirit to live inside of us, we have to agree to allow the Holy Spirit to live inside of us every day. 
Every day, we allow the Holy Spirit to work inside of us. How does that work? When you get up, you're ready to face the day, you need to submit and allow the Holy Spirit. Say, Lord, I give you my life. I want you to live inside of me. I want you to talk through me today. I want you to help me make right decisions that honor you. I want you to help me have wisdom where to go, where not to go, what to say, when to keep my big mouth shut, uh, how not to get into trouble, how to spend my finances wisely, how to love my children. Every area of your life, it is a willingness to submit to the power of the Holy Spirit. You see how amazingly radically different this is than religion. Religion controls people through rules and regulations. And I'm not anti-religion, but I just want it to be what God wants it to be. I want it to be who he created it to be. Man-made religion, I'll use that term, man-made religion. How's the best way to illustrate it? Y'all remember cartoons, how they had this carrot and it would hang with a little stick and it would have a rope and a carrot and right in front of the horse. And so the horse keeps going along because it always thinks it's going to get the carrot, but it never gets the carrot. Well, that's a great illustration. Uh, that's the way it is really in religion a lot of times. And that is we never feel like we're good enough. We never feel like we've done enough to be in God's sight. We never feel like we've done enough to be made righteous. And there's something within us gnawing, like, I've got to do this, and I didn't do enough, and oh, I've got to do more, and I should have done this, and if I could just do that, then God would love me. He loves you now. And it was never the plan for rules and and man-made religion to try and get us to do what we should do. He wants to change the whole dynamic. He wants to come on the inside. Give us a new heart. Live on the inside. You see, that's what he told us. He actually told us this same thing. Look, if you would, to John 14. He told his disciples this. This is what was going to happen. John 14, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you. Notice the change here. He lives with you now. Of course, he was living with them in the person of Jesus. And later will be where? In you. Remember how it said in Colossians? That mighty power of God working mightily in us. The hope of glory is Christ living inside of us. Jesus told his disciples, right now you have the Holy Spirit with you in the person of Jesus. But later when he leaves, remember when he left, he said, I go, but I'm going to leave my Holy Spirit. And he comes to reside inside of us to make us a brand new person. It has always been God's heart 
to be a king that would live inside of us. Give us a new way of life. Instead of going through the rat race, trying to be successful, be number one, buy more toys than everybody else. Instead of doing it that way, he said, I want to change your perspective. And in doing so, you know, the most powerful picture we have is before Jesus died, he washed the feet of his disciples. And that was probably pretty uncomfortable for all those disciples. You know, and Peter even had a problem with it. He said, Lord, I, you know, I, I don't need to be washing my feet. I need to be washing your feet. But Jesus was trying to say something. He was not just talking to Peter. He was, he was talking to all of us. That his way is different than the world. His way is to be a blessing to other people. And he wants us to follow in his footsteps. And the way starts by giving a new heart. And then when he gives you a new heart, he comes to live inside of you. That was always his plan. It's been his plan from the beginning. Always. It's amazing. You even go back to the Old Testament. What God spoke to Moses. God said to Moses, and I don't have the scripture for the overhead, but he said to Moses in Exodus chapter 16, he said, I want a whole kingdom of priests. A whole kingdom of priests. And to understand that, you have to know what the word priest means. The word priest is a very simple Hebrew word that means those who will draw near to me. What was God saying? To, even to Moses. He said, I want a whole nation of people who can draw close to me. Now, it didn't happen in the Old Testament. And, and what's amazing is, if you remember the story... God said, okay, I'm going to meet with my people. And he met with his people. He told Moses, tell the people to get ready. And they came to the mountain. And the whole mountain shook and fire and smoke. And the whole mountain shook. And the people, it says, their knees smote one against another. <laughs> and they came back to Moses and they said, Moses, this whole idea of us meeting with God, it ain't going to work. They scare it to death. And they said, Moses, tell you what. You go to God, and you just let us know what he has to say. And thereby came the Levitical priesthood, someone who would be the go-between. But understand, before that ever happened, God had already told Moses his real heart was to have a whole kingdom of people who would all draw close to him. Exactly what he said here. I want my people to come and know me, come right into my presence to love me. And he died on a cross, shed his incorruptible blood so that you and I could have a relationship with him. And I have to bring out this fact. It's important, but, and that is, he is coming again. 
as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's true. No, no way around it. And for those of you who doubt that Jesus is coming again, I just want you to consider this. If God so meticulously planned for his coming, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, I mean, you, you've heard all the prophetic words and how he meticulously caused all the prophetic words to come to pass, that he came at such a time. If God went to such detail that he would come the way he said he would come the first time, isn't it reasonable to consider that he is going to do exactly what he said he would about Jesus coming back? Look what he says. A lot of scriptures I could look at, but one of them I love is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15. It says, For just the right time Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only Almighty God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He alone can never die. He lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him nor ever will. All honor and power to him forever and ever. And throughout the New Testament refers to Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. Look, if you would, to the last verse in Revelation chapter 19, verse 13. It says this. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. Most of you know from the book of John, Jesus was known as the Word in the beginning. Verse 14, the armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen, that's referring to our robes of righteousness, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He'll rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe, at his thigh, was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. And I want to tell you, first time he came as a servant riding on a lowly donkey. But I can assure you, he's not coming riding on a lowly donkey. He's not coming as a servant. You know, you read this whole passage in Revelation. He's coming to settle the score. He's coming to right all righteousness. And all those who rejected God, He is going to finish everything. The truth of it is, is that we will all stand before a holy God. And we will answer the question whether or not we trusted in Him with our life. The greatest question I can ask you today is, have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? Have you given your heart to Him? Have you allowed Him to give you that new life? Have you allowed Him to give you a new heart? Have you allowed Him to do heart surgery on you and take out that old heart and give you a new heart? Have you allowed Him to come and live on the inside of you by the power of the Holy Spirit? Not much else is important. All the problems you've faced this week, And next week and the week after, they're pale in comparison to the single most important question that we all answer. Are we ready? You know, I do funerals all the time of people that we're not expecting to die. People that get up in the morning 
And they fully expect that they're going to live through that whole day and they're going to go to bed at night and they're going to be with their families the next day. And yet, either through sickness or disease, accidents, who knows, act of terrorism, something happens and they don't make it to the next day. And I encourage people all the time, be ready today. Be ready today to meet Jesus. Because we will all stand before a holy God. And and again, if you've heard anything I've said, it's not going to be one of these scales. You all understand my scales? It's not going to be one of, you know, you pile all your good works over here and you pile all your bad works over here and all your sin and hope. Maybe it tilts just enough to get you into heaven. It's not like that. There's nothing in the Bible that indicates it's, it's like that. It has nothing to do with our works. Nothing. It has to do with have we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord of our life? And have we trusted our life into Him and let Him come to live inside of us? And then the good works should flow out of our life as a result of that. I'm, I'm all about good works. I'm all about doing things that bless other people. But we don't do them to get to heaven. We don't do them to please God. We do them because we are saved. Because we are born again. Because we want to make a difference in this world. I'm going to ask you if you would just to bow your heads just for a second. Every person in this room, if you would. I'm not going to be long, but I have to. I have to ask you these questions. Every person in this room, is there a time in your life where you surrendered and asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life? Not asking if you're religious or if you've been a good person. I'm asking if you have come to that place When Jesus said it to Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. You will never see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. That's the question. So today, Heavenly Father, I pray right now that every heart would be honest enough to ask ourselves that question are we ready are we ready to meet you have we accepted this new way of life this new kingdom this new heart where you come and live on the inside and make us into a brand new person Lord I pray that every person is ready for that day Thank you, Lord, for drawing every person to you. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you if you would just stand to your feet. We're going to sing.
If you would like to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life today, you would be willing to pray with me today and ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart, be born again. Ask God to give you that new heart and the Holy Spirit to come live inside of you. I'm going to ask you, if you would, just to make your way out of your chair. Come right down to the front. I would like to pray for you. This is a life change. This is heaven or hell. This is a decision to change the direction of your life. I believe there are people in this room that need to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Would you come today and make Him the Lord of your life? Would you come? Anybody? Young man, anybody else? Anyone else? I believe God speak. Yes, thank you, young lady. Young man. Anybody else? Thank you for coming. Anybody else? Wait just a minute. Anybody? Yes. Come on, young man. This is an important decision. It's a deci- and it's not joining a church. It's asking Jesus Christ to come into your life. Be born again. Transformed life. New heart. New, new life. Anybody? You would like to do this? Old, young, yes. Children, anybody. You are welcome. Anybody? Amen. New life. New life. Anybody else? We're going to wait just a minute. Holy Spirit, draw every person who needs to make that decision. Lord, I pray that you would speak to their heart. Anybody else? Hey, Emily. Hey, sweetie. You know, she's five, almost six. Same age as I was when I gave my heart to Jesus. It can, it can, it can take. Age is not important. Anybody else? We're going to pray. Anybody else? Okay, let's pray. going to ask you all if you would to pray out loud with me. Okay. We're going to pray out loud. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I give you my heart. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Give me a new heart, Lord. Live inside of me by the power of the Holy Spirit. I accept Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. Thank you, Father. I accept your forgiveness. I am born again by the Spirit of God. Thank you, Lord. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.